Welcome to The Porch, an online community of believers committed to restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence of the early church. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics, by examining the Word of God and the example of the Book of Acts Church to discover how the early church served the Lord. In doing so, we discovered the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The Porch on the Air since March of 2010 can only be heard on Firefall Talk Radio, which is a part of the Firefall Media Group. We're glad you're with us. To reach us click the contact button on the Firefall Talk Radio homepage at firefalltalkradio.com. If you want to support what we do there are ways to do that starting with the PayPal link at the bottom of the homepage. You can also use the Venmo app, which is easier to use and has fewer fees, where we can be found under at Firefall Media Group. One word. Uppercase on FMG. Thank you to each and every one of you who support what we do. We appreciate your support and encouragement. Give as the Lord leads. And now, to the Bible study with Richard Grund. All right, we're still talking the kingdom war here on the porch. But before we do that, as always, we start out praise reports, prayer requests. Won't go into the word without doing that. So that you understand, praise in the original Greek means to sing, to tell of, to give, or to confess. In simpler terms... It means just being thankful for God's blessings and to declare it to others and the good news and let people know, as it says in Psalm 9, verses 1 and 2, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Well, I praise him first, my salvation, otherwise everything else doesn't come. My home, my wife, my family, sons, daughter-in-law, Granddaughter-in-law is plural, grandson, our furry kids, all of our possessions, all this technology, the ability to do this here with you. I praise him for his provision, protection over each and every one of us, for the dreams and the visions. I praise him for his healing virtues. I praise him for favor and revelation, for being a new creation and living in these prophetic times. I praise him for America. Even with all the trouble we have, it's it's the land of the free and the home of the brave, and we can do what we are called to do with the word that may change by prophetic utterance. I believe it will, but for now we're free to do this. So let's let's praise him. I praise him for the signs he's getting ready to return. So let's get ready. Psalm one twenty two verse six says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, may they prosper. Who love you. So once you praise him, then you can offer your prayers. I pray for America, for its leaders, for its citizens. I'm praying for justice and righteousness to prevail and for all evil to be exposed and dealt with. I pray for the fatherless, the widows, the innocents, and the victims of injustice. I pray against the slaughter of the innocents, both in and out of the womb, for the missing and exploited children for the victims of sex trafficking, for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith, for the religious persecution and anti-Semitism, which is increasing day by day. The spirit of the Antichrist grows bolder, but we must stand up and we must 
push back. I pray for divine wholeness, health, and continued healing as we get back to our divine design. So right now I pray in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, healing for each and every one of you who are injured or sick right now, for wholeness, to be whole in heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Pray for divine protection in accordance with that Psalm 91 covering. For the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to rise up within us. For the remnant to wake up, rise up, and answer the call to action. And if you've been blessed, then I pray that you'd be a blessing. Firefall, the porch, SRT, there are needs, there are things we need to do. So we're crying out for the blessings to come, for the doors to open, to finish this documentary, and to do the other things we're called to do, that each and every one of us would prosper in accordance with his word. I pray the open conduits of blessings to fund the dreams, the visions, and the missions would happen in Jesus' name, and of course, for our lost family members to find their way into the kingdom. On Monday, Greg, our cameraman for the documentary for SRT, reached out to me and um, he said, I don't like having to request this, but a couple of bills hit and they're in some need of money. You know, with the COVID-19 pandemic, they've been able to stay afloat, but they've had a couple of bills hit them. He said, anything you or the ministry could could provide would be a blessing. And we were able to get the word out and some came in and, and Firefall gave some, but we came up a little short. So if you want to help, send the money. Um, like the lady said to Firefall Media Group, use the PayPal app or the Venmo and just mark it for Greg. Chris in Hawaii has a praise report. Chris is one of the original followers and listeners to the porch all the way back in 2010. She actually came to the first sea conference we did in Croton, Connecticut in 2011. She and her husband um, live there in Hawaii. She says, my praise report is I'm still employed as a substance abuse counselor. My prayer request that God moves us to a safer home location where we're not surrounded by so much crime and drug trafficking. Chris, I'm praying that uh, you and Tim get out of there completely and that God gives you the money to bring you and your animals and everything that's yours to the States. Peggy in Alabama, she has a prayer request. Peggy's one of the um, key people for the porch, one of our main supporters. She's been with us for a while. I've been to Alabama to do teachings there. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to get back there, but believing that we will in the coming year. Um, She hurt her neck, and it's been bothering her for two weeks. She's been to various doctors and and health professionals, and um, she just needs healing. She has an appointment um, in the morning with a sports doctor. She needs relief from the pain, but I'm believing completely and totally God will, will reveal what it is and that you, Peggy, are healed in Yeshua's name. So, Father, we know you are as good as your word. We just know you. You love us. You are an awesome dad. You are Abba Father, Papa God, Daddy. So right now, right now as your children, we boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy, crying out, Abba, Father, Papa, God. Wherever you are right now, begin to just begin to call out Abba's name. Begin to speak to him. Begin to praise him. Begin to thank him. Enter his presence with thanksgiving and praise and love. We thank you, Father, that you loved us when we were unlovable. We thank you, are thankful to you for Yeshua your only begotten Son, 
the one who fixed Adam's mess, and the one who cleans up our mess. It's by his blood we are healed. By his stripes we were healed. By the price he paid on the cross we have been reconciled to you. So we thank you for doing that. Lord, we thank you for enduring it. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for being alive. You are alive. You sit at the right hand of the Father in fullness and power, and we get to sit with you in the heavenly places. So thank you. Thank you for sending back your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the teaching and the encouragement and the and the walking with us and everything that the Spirit does. Holy Spirit, we say have your way as we take on this topic. Open our hearts, open our minds, bring things to our remembrance. Change us, Lord, change us, change us from the inside out. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Let the fruit grow and the power flow. And I just thank you and I praise you and I pray all these things in the only name above every name, Yeshua. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're talking about the kingdom. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We live in a fallen world ruled by the kingdom of darkness, but we're not of this world. We're in it, but we're not of it. Our citizenship is not from here. But even though we're not in this world, even though we're not of this world, we still have a responsibility. We still have a job to do. We still must be alert and aware and active and occupy until the Lord comes back. We're not supposed to sit back and say, well, it's not our problem. Yes, it is our problem. We were given dominion. We were given authority, and we must walk in it. But we're in a war, and that's what we're talking about. So open your Bibles, open your apps, however you follow along. Make sure you download these. Make sure you share them. Take the notes. I am giving you a lot of information. Right now, we're going in a direction that's going to include a lot more information than I normally give, taking you in different directions. But I'm trying to get you to understand that you were made naturally and naturally supernatural. The fall and sin and the fallen have tricked us into seeing the supernatural as some extraneous or extra part of our life, but it's not. We live naturally supernatural, and to do that, we must have eyes to see and ears to hear, and we must understand 
what is going on around us from a supernatural perspective first. The problem I see in the majority of the churches, they see everything naturally, and then, oh, by the way, let's look for the supernatural. No, no. This rule is either, you are either ruled by God or you're ruled by the fallen. And those men who are ungodly, those women who are ungodly and doing what they're doing, are being ruled by a kingdom they can't see whether they know it or not. So go with me to Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. But we have renounced the disgraceful things hidden because of shame, not walking in trick- trickery or adulterating the word of God, but by stating the truth openly and plainly. We commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is in some sense hidden behind a veil, it's hidden only to those who are perishing. Among them, the God of this world, Hasatan, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving to prevent them from seeing the illuminating light of the gospel of the glory of Messiah, who is the image of God. In John twelve thirty one, the Lord calls Satan the ruler of this world. And because he hates God, he hates the kingdom of God, and he hates everything that has to do with the one who created him and kicked him out of heaven. He means he, cre- he hates us. So he blinds the minds of people to not see the light of the glory of the gospel. And even those who get saved, he tries to blind you from walking in the reality of your identity of who you are, regardless of what this world says. But the thing comes down to, there's a word that was used in Second Corinthians 4, conscious. Our conscience should be our guide. Now you may say, wait a second, that's not spiritual. Yes, it is. Because initially we were made in the image of God. Initially, our conscience was from God. But then it got corrupted. The programming got corrupted. But the Lord says Satan is the ruler, the God of this world, but he also declares he will be cast out. He saw him cast down from heaven like lightning. It also says in Revelation 12, starting with verse 9, that the great dragon was thrown down, the age-old serpent who is called the devil and Satan, who continually deceives and seduces the entire inhabited world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom, dominion reign of our God and the authority of his Messiah have come. For the accuser of our believing brothers and sisters has been thrown down at last, who accuses them and keeps bringing charges of sinful behavior against them before our God day and night. And they overcame and conquered him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, for they did not love their life and renounce their faith even when faced with death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them in the presence of God. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you in great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time remaining." Although seven was, uh, Satan was kicked out of heaven, he still had freedom to go from the earth to the heavens. I believe he didn't ever get back into the throne room, but he got within shouting distance. And that's how he accused us day and night. He 
He ruled in that realm I call the heavenlies, the atmospheric realm around the earth. But there will come a point when the church is taken out of the earth that Satan and his angels will be cast down to the earth completely and become totally terrestrial. They'll be even more embarrassed and debased and be enraged by it. So what we're seeing, what I'm trying to get you to understand, is the instigation of the kingdom of God takes power and precedence over the kingdom of this world. In Revelation 12, it says they overcame him by appropriating the victory of the finished work of Messiah, by the public confession of their faith and patient endurance even in the face of martyrdom. The church's constant position, its constant posture under the authority of the cross is victory by the blood of the Lamb, the perfect unblemished blood of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world and the steadfastness of the promise and the authority of God's word, the word of their testimony. That's how they overcame. And the defeat of the devil causes rejoicing amongst God's people. But to the world, it brings woe. I mean, let's face it. If you're in the world and the devil comes down, you're going to want to go, whoa, that's bad. Yep, it is bad. And right now, we are in the intensification of the evil workings of darkness, the days of Noah. As that age progresses and the adversary knows He's running out of time. He becomes more vicious. He becomes more desperate. We're seeing it acted out on the streets of the world. Lawlessness and ugliness and all the things we're seeing happening have always been there, but now they're magnified. They're energized. Second Thessalonians 2, verses 7 through 9 says, For the mystery of lawlessness, the rebellion against divine authority, and the coming reign of lawlessness is already at work, but it is restrained only by he who now restrains it is taken out of the way. And that I believe that he is the Holy Spirit. Then the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed. And Adonai Yeshua, the Lord Jesus, will slay him with the breath of his mouth and bring him to an end by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the Antichrist, the lawless one, is through the activity of Satan, attended with great power, all kinds of counterfeit miracles and deceptive signs and false wonders, all of them lies. See, if you don't understand this, you can't understand what I'm talking about in Genesis 6. And in the days of Noah, what I'm trying to do, and I'm hoping it's working, is get you to begin to see things through kingdom eyes. Begin to see things with eyes that are out of time, out of out of this reality. Begin to see what's happening now and go, oh, wait a second, that correlates to what happened then. Therefore, it must be the same powers behind it. Six times in the return of the Lord and in the two Thessalonian letters, it refers to the coming of the lawless one. And just as our Heavenly Father and our Lord empowers us through the Holy Spirit, Satan empowers his figure and those that serve him with deceptive signs and lying wonders. So let's be clear here. Not every miracle comes from God. 
if it doesn't line up with his word and if it doesn't glorify him, you're pretty sure it's not from him. We saw that in Exodus 7:11 when Pharaoh called the wise men that were skilled in magic and omens, uh, the sorcerers that did witchcraft, saying priest of Egypt, and they did the same things that Moses was doing with their secret arts and enchantment. The only thing they couldn't stop was Moses' staff when it became a snake, consumed the snakes that they created. God's power will always be greater, but that doesn't mean Satan won't try to imitate or mimic or to dissuade you from moving in that power. The coming of the Antichrist, the lawless one, is through the activity of Satan. Great powers, counterfeit miracles, deceptive signs, false wonders, all of them are lies. And by unlimited seduction to evil, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who are perishing, because they did not welcome the love of the truth of the gospel so as to be saved, they were spiritually blind and rejected the truth that would have saved them. You know, in Ezekiel 28, it tells us that Satan is filled with lawlessness from the inside out. Yeshua called him the father of lies, that there is no truth in him. 1 John 4, 3, the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. And uh, we better watch out because the Lord warned us in Matthew seven twenty three that lawlessness will invade the church. He says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness is sin. It's rebellion against God. See, all of this ties to that. The days of Noah, the fallen watchers, Satan, the demons, everything ties to what? Rebellions against God, our Father, and against his word. That's why the Lord warned about self-deception. A, a mere verbal profession of lordship, as we see in Matthew 7, without obedience to the will of God, is deception. It's not good enough. And even if a, a self-deluded person would have, would have a spectacular ministry, as they've been known to do, and use the authority of the Scriptures and the name of Jesus without walking in genuine, obedient discipleship, he will reject them. That's why sometimes I get upset about false teachers and preachers and everything that they do. And the Lord just simply says, I will deal with it. And I know what he's saying. When the time comes, their just reward won't be very good. It will be just, but it won't be good. That's why he says in Matthew 24, 4, take heed that no one deceives you. That's why you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the manifestation of both the gifts and the, the fruit. Because the Holy Spirit is what? Is the spirit of truth. And if he's in you, if he's activated, then you're not going to be deceived. Let me read you a, a quote from Plato that kind of takes us into the next phase of understanding this. Now, of course, Plato is not a believer, a secular thinker. But even in his day, they understood. Once upon a time, the gods were taking over by lot the whole 
earth according to its regions. So by just allotments they received each one his own, and they settled their countries. And when they had thus settled them, they reared us up, even as herdmen rear their flocks, to be their cattle and nurslings, only it was not our bodies that they constrained by bodily force, like shepherds guiding their flocks with the stroke of a staff. But they directed from the stern where the living creature is easiest to turn about, laying hold on the soul by persuasion, as by a rudder, according to their own disposition, and thus they drove and steered all of the mortal kind." The seduction of the fallen is so, not just subtle, it starts out subtle, but it's really not. If you have eyes to see, you should be amazed that anybody would fall for it. But what they do is they find out what your button is. They find out the thing that they can slip past your defenses. They're sly. They're insidious. But once they get in, the veneer comes off and they show their true nature. So whenever somebody tells me they're being visited by a dead relative or by a spirit or whatever, I pray a prayer with them. I pray that the next time they see them, that the mask would be gone, that they would see their face for what they really are. And more often than not, that happens. And they're shocked or afraid. Shocked into the reality of what they've been dealing with. Last week we talked about Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4, and this is key to where we are and where we're going, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit. When people began to multiply on the face of the ground, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, the Beneha Elohim, saw that they were fair, meaning beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in mortals forever, for they are flesh, their days shall be 120 years. Before that, they lived hundreds of years, but because of this, he shortened their time frame. Verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went into the daughters of Adam, the daughters of humans, who bore children to them. These were the heroes that were of old, the warriors of renown. The New Living Translation says these were the heroes and the famous warriors of ancient times. If you want to understand Greek and Roman mythology, if you want to understand Sumeria and Shinar and all the fantastic stories, even Atlantis and Lumeria, I would say to you, all of them existed before the flood. Remember that the whole earth was covered in these hybrid humans, ruled by these fallen angels and their hybrid human offspring, and, and then the humans that were on the earth suffered under them. The civilizations, the technology, all the stories of old have an element of truth to them. And they were all wiped out in the flood. God reduced man's life expectancy because of this penchant for sin and evil. And as it says in verse 4, and also after that, these events were not confined just to the period before the flood. They happened afterward, and I believe that in some form they're happening now. 
We won't go there yet, but in all the stories of supposed alien abductions and what happens to people, and I believe that the fallen are are still active, still trying to rebuild their society back to when it was in the days of Noah, so that when their fathers get out of the pit, they can walk right back into their kingdoms. So the sons of God, these fallen angels, and the women that they had sex with produced giants. And as I explained last week, when the term B'nai Elohim, sons of God, are used four times in the Bible, Genesis 6, 1 through 4, Job 1, 6, Job 2, 1, Job 8, 37, Psalm 29, 1, always means angels. Well, in Genesis 6, these Sons of God are watchers that were sent down from heaven to oversee the affairs of men. And you've ever wondered why would he send down watchers to earth? Well, who was sent down, cast down to earth beforehand? Satan and a third of the angelic host. So to protect mankind, he, he put in these watchmen who unfortunately don't completely understand how, but I would suspect Satan's mesmerizing voices somewhere in the midst of this convinces them to rebel against God. 200 of them, 10 rulers of 20. The only names we know are of the 10 rulers. They forgot who they were. Isn't it amazing how under the seduction of evil, under uh, all the things that happens in the dark, you can forget who you are. You can forget what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do, that seduction, that evil, it's its been there since the beginning. An entire civilization fell for it, and they chose these watchers over God. They chose these angelic beings whom they could see over a God whom they couldn't. And in doing so, they both got cursed I don't understand why these angels were willing to give up eternity for the ability to procreate and have children, but then again, Satan got a third of the angels to rebel and leave heaven with him. So these watchers sinned and rebelled. They had sexual relations. They produced these offspring, talked about various forms of these watchers, Daniel 4.13, Daniel 17 and 23 Jude 6 and 7, 1 Enoch 6 through 10, the book of Jubilees, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the book of the giants. In that age, they knew about the, the, the watchers. They knew about the fallen angels. They understood the demonic. It wasn't until after the Council of Nicaea and things got clamped down and any form of reference to the Son of Man or the Messiah or anything Jewish was taken out. And we became deceived. But these beings who should have known better seduced people who should have known better. And these supernatural beings got put in ropes bound in the pit in Tartarus, the deepest pit of gloom, until their final judgment. And the humans that interacted with them died in the flood. But then the hybrid human offspring died in the flood, but their demonic spirits lived on and Although they are in prison, and although their hybrid human offspring were killed, their influence continues as an end result of man 
choosing the fallen angels over God. When we look at our society right now, and I could go off on a rant, but I'm not going to. I'm going to stay on task. If we look at our society right now, all of it, all the bad things, all the ugly things are things that are the antithesis of God and what God wants. And I'd like to say that if I had been alive in the days of Noah, which means I'd be really old right now, but if I had been alive, I'd like to say that I would have been with Noah and I would not have partaken, but I I don't know. I don't know what the fear was like. I don't know what they did to convince it to, but, but once it got going, it turned ugly really fast. So I'm going to read from you to you from sections of First Enoch, and then we're going to talk a little bit about me doing this. So just bear with me. This is chapter 15 of First Enoch. Enoch has gone to the Ancient of Days, who is the Father and then the Son of Man. Um, the Lord is there with him, and they're in a throne room that is... The walls are flickering with fire, which is the Holy Spirit. And he answered and said to me, and I heard his voice, Fear not, Enoch, thou righteous man and scribe of righteousness. Approach hither and hear my voice. And go and say to the watchers of heaven, let me back up. Here's what happened. The watchers realized, oops, we're in trouble. Dad's angry. We're going to send the scribe Enoch, who has access to the throne room, to be our representative and negotiate um a deal so we can go back home. That's the simplistic Richard Grun version. Go and say to the watchers of heaven who have sent thee to intercede for them, you should intercede for men and not men for you. Wherefore you have left the high, holy, and eternal heaven and laid with women and defiled yourselves with the daughters of men and have taken to yourselves wives and done like the children of the earth and begotten giants as your sons. And though you were holy, spiritual, living the eternal life, you have defiled yourselves with the blood of women and have begotten children with the blood of flesh. And as the children of men have lusted after flesh and blood, of those also do who die and perish. Therefore, I have given them wives also, that they might impregnate them and begot children by them, and that nothing might be wanting to them on the earth. But you were formerly spiritual, living the eternal life and immortal for all generations of the world. And therefore I have not appointed wives for you, for as for the spiritual ones of heaven, in heaven is their dwelling. And now the giants who are produced from the spirits and flesh shall be called evil spirits upon the earth, and on the earth shall be their dwelling. Evil spirits have proceeded from their bodies, for they are born from men and from the holy watchers as their beginning and primal origin. They shall be evil spirits on the earth, and evil spirits they shall be called. For the spirits of heaven in heaven shall be their dwelling, but as for the spirits of the earth which are born upon the earth, the earth shall be their dwelling. Basically, they'll never see heaven. Then in verse 11 and 15, we explain, he explains why we are where we are. And the spirits of the giants afflict, oppress, destroy, attack, do battle, and work destruction on the earth and cause trouble. They take no food, but nevertheless hunger and thirst and cause offenses. 
And these spirits shall rise up against the children of men and against the women, because they have proceeded from them. Verse 15 carries on this explanation that if you can see it in your mind, you're starting to understand what's going on. From the days of the slaughter and destruction and death of the giants, from the souls of those whose flesh the spirits have gone forth, shall destroy without incurring judgment. Thus shall they destroy until the day of the consummation, the great judgment in which the age shall be consummated over the watchers and the godless, yea, shall be wholly consummated. What does that mean? That means they're on the earth. There's nothing you can do about it. When somebody tells you, oh, I take demons and I put them in the pit. I remember somebody told me that. Well, why don't you just put them into the pit? That's what I do. And I said, well, if you and everybody I've heard did that, we'd have run out of demons by now. Oh, well, they just make more demons. I said, stop. You're making this up. I have verification that they're here and they're going to stay here until that final judgment. And even though Enoch went to intercede for them, the Ancient of Days, the Father says, you will have no peace. That means these fallen watchers are in chains. They're in the pit. They're tormented. They're alive. They're awake. They've been there for thousands of years, which is why they're really ticked off. Then in chapter 19, an angel says this to Enoch. And he's shown Enoch where they're bound. I believe in the center of the earth. I believe where that lake a fire probably is that molten lava that never stops burning. Here shall stand the angels who have connected themselves with women, and their spirits assuming many different forms are defiling mankind, and shall lead them astray into sacrificing to demons as God. Hence they shall stand till the day of the great judgment, in which they shall be judged until they are made an end of. And the women also of the angels who went astray shall become sirens. And the Enoch says, And I, Enoch, alone saw the vision, the end of all things. No man shall see as I have seen. See what he just said? They are still deceiving. They're still influencing. They're still defiling mankind. The next time you see something on the news, the next time you see some report of some vile, evil activity, ask the Lord to open your eyes. Ask him to show you what's really going on, who's really doing that. I talked about this in the supernatural battle, and this is what I said of the three books ascribed to Enoch. I only deal with First Enoch, the book of the Watchers, because it fills in the blanks regarding the fallen angels, the creation of the Nephilim, the origins of demons, and the influence of the fallen Watchers on humanity. As I mentioned last week, there are some who will claim that First Enoch is heresy and not worth our attention. All I can tell you is how it happened with me. I'd never heard about it or knew of its existence before 2007. And in early 2007, the Lord led me to it, and light bulbs began to go off. I began to understand my questions regarding the demonic. And then I began to bump into others who at that same time were being led to the book of Enoch. 
and I was realizing that they were all mature believers that were ready to hear what it had to say. Which is why when some of you say, will you send me a copy, most of the time I say no. The Lord will lead you to it when you're able to understand it, when you're able to sift through it to see where it lines up with Scripture and where it doesn't. But I believe that the knowledge in that book was held until this time, and the Lord allowed it to be hidden. And then that correlated to when the angel Gabriel in Daniel 8 gave him a vision of the time of the end. So he came near where I stood, and then he came, and I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Then later on in Daniel 12, as as a summation, Gabriel says, At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. Right there, Daniel 12, 1 tells you Michael's not coming to your aid. Michael's not coming when you pray the prayer of St. Michael the archangel. His job is to watch over Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? And then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard it did not understand, then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. I don't know what that book was that Daniel had. Some believe that it was the book of Enoch. Some believe that the visions and given to him, to Daniel, included the things in Enoch. Somehow Enoch got passed down through the patriarchs to Noah, who then passed it down. And Moses wrote Genesis 6. He had to know. So this had been passed down. But the thing about 1st Enoch... It was widely known at the time of the development of the Hebrew Bible, yet it was excluded from both the formal canon of the Tanakh, the Hebrew canon of the Christian Old Testament, and the typical canon of the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Due to its messianic prophecies, I believe that it was withheld, kept out not because it was error, but because it conflicted with the agenda of the day, the references to the Son of Man, which is repeated 84 times in the Bible, was a cause for concerns who deny that he is their Messiah, being the Jews. They couldn't have a book that might infer that they were wrong. But see, then the Christian suppression had a different inspiration. 
It was felt by early church leaders such as Irenaeus, Origen, Tertullian, and St. Augustine that it was genuine and should be accepted. According to Origen, it was excluded from biblical canon because of its discussion and revelation about the fallen angels. Tertullian of Carthage, a second-century teacher and theologian, stated in his writings that the fact that the epistle of Jude quotes Enoch along with almost one other hundred quotes in the Bible, should have been enough verification for the New Testament believer. But the ruling theological parties did not agree with him. But nothing happens unless the Lord allowed it, and I believe he hid it from the church until now. I think he hid it to there would be a people that could not only understand it, but could act on it. So what we see... We see and feel their influence from the pit through their offspring in the world today. They're still connected to them spiritually. They're still ruling them and guiding them from the pit. Well, if you want to see present historical verification of that, go with me to Romans chapter 1. And when I mean by present, I mean within biblical age. But God shows his anger from heaven until all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Starting with verse 18. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can see clearly his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God, just like the people during the time of Noah, during that time, had no excuse for not knowing the creator of the universe. Who did they think created these supernatural beings that they were now worshiping? Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks, and they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, instead they became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. What do the four living creatures around the throne look like? Three look like animals and birds, and one looks like a man. There's a possibility some of these watchers weren't humanoid, but they were animals. There's a possibility some of the legend of half-human, half-animals came from that. I don't know, but they worshipped them. Then here we go, verse 24, same thing he did in the days of Noah. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served the things which God created instead of the Creator Himself who is worthy of eternal praise. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged sex with each other. And men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that should never have been done. 
Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They were backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Everything I just described to you is described about the inhabitants of Canaan. Those inhabitants were Nephilim. I believe every sinful thing man has done on this earth is a direct result of the teaching, the influence of the activities of those fallen watchers from Genesis 6. See, Paul's explanation in the book of Romans, even when he's sharing the glory and the wonderful aspect of the gospel, he's always honest enough to include the fact that the wrath of God His personal anger against all sin in the universe is a part of his nature. He doesn't want to. Rather than bringing God glory, sin dishonors him and contradicts his his holy character. I have people say, oh, he's such a loving God, but yeah, he's a holy God too. And that's why they suppress the truth. That's why they don't want people to know the gospel. That's why these spirits, these these entities, however you want to call them, whatever you want to call them, that's why they suppress the truth of the gospel. Because if somebody's eyes were open like mine were, and so many others were, you suddenly realize my life was a lie. My choices were wrong. God did not inspire me or allow me to do those things. I was being influenced by the choices I made under the inspiration of another force, a darker force. False religion, false beliefs will always lead to personal immorality. That Greek phrase, God gave them up, in verses 26 and 28, means when people reject God, He lets them have their way. Meaning you reap what you sow. You see it in in the days of Noah. Days of Noah didn't happen overnight. They happened over over centuries. So that by the time Noah was given the order to build the ark, man was beyond redemption. God let them have their way. They chose the fallen angels. They chose the immediate gratification of interacting with these supernatural beings. And God said, okay, if that's what you want, that's what you can have. What we had then and what we had in Romans and what we have now is a society rebelling against God. It's representative in both the day of Paul in the pre-flood age called the antediluvian period. And I say to you even now. What does that mean, antediluvian period? Simply means the period before the flood. The time of Genesis chapters 1 through 6. It was a term coined by a man named Thomas Brown, a writer from the 1600s. 
But the antediluvian age became known as the dispensation of moral responsibility, the age of conscience, the age where man should have known better. What's crazy about that? It's a period that we were under the Adamic covenant where God had created Adam. Yes, he fell. Yes, he rebelled. Yes, he lost the glory of the garden. But even through his generations, even through his lineage, as children began to have children, as Cain, who killed Abel, and his lineage began to bear children, this rebellion, this period of moral responsibility should have been different. Just like today, it should be different. We're under the same responsibility as were the people before the flood. We should know better. Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 15, when the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed even though they've never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey. Obey it. For merely, merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It's obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. Your heart is the seed of your intellect, your emotions, your will, and your moral consciousness. It's the personality which has the extraordinary ability to guide you in one way or another. Yeshua says that from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slaughter, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. But it's also your heart. You what? You confess with your mouth. You believe with your heart. So the very thing that condemns you, the very thing that has all those evil things come out of it, is what participates in your redemption. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will imprint my laws upon their minds, even upon their innermost thoughts and understanding. I will engrave them upon their hearts, affecting their regeneration. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Man has responsibilities. We should know better. We can't say, oh, the devil made me do it. You make a decision. The only place you're not in control of your choices is when someone is completely possessed and they've allowed their condition to go to the point that something else is making their decisions for them, but they had to allow it to get to that point. Father, I just pray right now that you'd reach into all of our hearts. We are your sons and your daughters. But sometimes we fall under the influence of the fallen one. Sometimes we're set up to make mistakes. 
We need your help in this time of darkness. We need to burn brighter. We need your Holy Spirit to speak louder over the noise, over the interference. We have been redeemed, but yet sometimes we still fall. We still trip up. The programming is still wrong. And on top of all of that, we're living in a fallen world under the influence of the fallen and their demonic offspring. This is not our home, but they rule and reign. But I declare declare to you right now, Father, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, King of kings and Lord of lords, your spirit is inside of us, the one that spoke them into existence. Greater are you that is in us than they that are in the world. So if we will submit to you, if we will let go, if we will just give up everything to you, you will protect us. You will be the ark that gets us out. You will be the one that redeems us. Noah was a man of righteousness, perfect in his generations, and you saved him. And even in the midst of all the work, even in the midst of 120 years of building that ark under possibly attacks and recriminations and whatever was going on around him, he didn't stop. And then you got him into the ark before the flood came. Lord, we want to be used by you right now. We want to be a people of the covenant. We want to be your sons and daughters. We want to be the light that you shine out into the darkness. That no matter how ugly it is, no matter how demonic it is, no matter how bad it becomes, people can find their way to you through us, through the sound of our voice, through the beacons that we are. So whether we're in the days of Noah, the onset, it doesn't matter where we are doesn't matter where we are. It matters where you are. And we are seated with you in the heavenly places. So I'm praying for your sons and your daughters. Open their eyes. Open their hearts. Open their minds right now. Whatever their calling is, whatever their place is, whatever you need them to do in this time, speak it to them. Prepare them for it. And then bring the provisions, Father. Bring the provisions to do what you need us to do. Because we love you, and we want to be about your business. And I just thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And I thank you for the ability to stand. Stand with my brothers and sisters. I stand with those that war. I stand with those that are building the kingdom. And I stand with you. And I just pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Got a long way to go, a lot more to talk about. Stay with this. Like I said, download it if you need to. Take notes. Do whatever you need to get this. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Gunn. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.